Hello and welcome to another edition of the 42 Courses podcast. This week we managed to chat to Rory Sutherland. Rory, most of you probably know, um, he's been our oldest supporter and actually we made our first ever course with him um, on behavioural economics. It's still our most popular course, so uh, must be doing well. Uh, Rory's a, a hilarious guy and in this podcast he talks to us about why fish taste better by the sea. Um, he even tells us why he'd rather give 20 quid to Cambridge University's professor of archaeology to buy a Ford Mustang rather than for the university to purchase an additional building site. Um, we're also going to be talking about Nudgedock 2020. Um, this is a, a, the world's largest festival of behavioural science and creativity that's been put together by Rory and his team at Ogilvy. Um, and uh, talking about some of the highlights that, that you'll hear at this, this year's festival. Um, as well as uh, sharing some of his thoughts on the future of education. But uh, anyway, I'll uh, stop rambling on and uh, let you get into it. So enjoy. So Rory, thanks so much for joining us. Incredibly kind to be the, to take, take your time out to say hello. Um, I wanted to call today because um, I, I know Nudgestock is just around the corner. Um, and uh, and I thought it'd be worth to touch base and say hello. So, yeah, tell us tell us about Nudstock. Uh, what is it? When is it? Uh, yeah. So, um, based I suppose on the premise that um, never compromise. The opposite of a good idea is another good idea. Don't design for average. And various premises which I advance in my book. Um, Nudstock was planned to be a six hundred person physical festival in Margate, because we'd outgrown Folkestone, uh, on the 12th of June. And then pretty rapidly, we realized that um, mass events, particularly mass events of this kind, weren't going to be happening this summer, possibly not even this year, if we're being candid about it. And there's a whole separate issue I'd like to raise about uh, what we do to replace the conference, the trade fair, because businesses overwhelmingly used to talk to each other face-to-face uh, -face physically and we need a new platform uh, you know the trade press is in a poor state uh, if you don't have trade fairs you know the German Messe uh, the um, the conference etc yeah. the festival um, we need to create a digital um, uh, replacement for this but anyway let's park that for a moment <laughs> what we decided is okay this physical festival isn't going to work we can either do a kind of downgraded virtual version and my view is never do the compromised version of anything do something different yeah. uh, you know never be the poor man something else it's a fatal positioning and um, so you know it's the iPhone C do you remember that you know yeah. the, the kind of you know for people who can't afford a proper iPhone <laughs> it never worked and so we said okay we so okay we can't zig so we've got to zag spectacularly and so it's a 12-hour virtual, um, well, I was, I was saying it's, it, it's, it's based on Woodstock, but it's turning into Altamont, judging by the number of registrants we've had. Um, and it starts in Australia, uh, and for 12 hours, it rolls across the world, being streamed through LinkedIn Live or possibly LinkedIn events, and also over YouTube. And um, uh, it's essentially uh, a huge 12-hour orgy of behavioral science talks, starting in Sydney, ending in probably Hawaii with BJ Fogg. Uh, we don't follow 
latitude absolutely strictly. So we will hop a little bit left or right. But it essentially starts in Asia and works its way through to the, the Pacific. And um, uh, the, um, uh, the fundamental thing is that um, it's also free. Uh, because we said, well, to be honest, uh, it shouldn't have been free, but we're in this very strange world where we don't know what to charge for things. Speakers don't know what to charge for appearing virtually. Um, Organisers don't know what to charge for virtual events. And by the way, this is a very interesting behavioural science question because no one's created a category of video for £100 yet. There's one tiny exception, which is probably heavyweight uh, boxing championships. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if you have a major heavyweight boxing bout, that's the only kind of TV for which people pay three figures. Yeah. And someone's got to invent this because there are going to be specialist events where you specifically want a limited number of people. But in this case, we said, look, given the circumstances and given the timings, um, let's go huge and see how big this potential audience is, apart from anything else. And we're up to about 17 to 18,000 now. Now, Maybe. here's an interesting framing question, which is how big an audience is 18,000? Well, if you frame it against ITV in the 1970s on Saturday, it's not very big, okay? You know, that was an age when you got 22 million people watching Ted Rogers and 321. Um, on the other hand, frame it next to a football crowd and you're halfway to a premiership crowd. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So if you imagine yourself presenting to a stadium, you know, there are fairly major rock bands who play to smaller audiences. So this is not a totally uh, um, tiny event by any means. And so um, it's the 12th of June. It's nudgestock.co.uk. And you can register for free. And of course, there's a full money back guarantee if you're not satisfied. <laughs> who, who are you uh, most looking forward to, to hearing from and, and, and why? Normally, I wouldn't answer that because, <laughs> um, uh, I, first of all, you can't predict. But one person is Cass Sunstein simply because, as the co-author of Nudge, uh, it's kind of crazy. Richard Thaler spoke a couple of years ago. It's kind of crazy if you don't have um, the author of Nudge speaking at Nudge Stock. <laughs> and so that fills a long-held um, gap in our lineup. Um, but... Um, Around and about that, there's some fantastic speakers. Jason Collins, an absolutely fascinating evolutionary psychologist from uh, uh, Sydney, I think. Um, definitely Australia. Uh, we've got some fascinating people. Laurie Santos, who makes a kind of return because she spoke at the very first or very second, I think the very first nudge doc. Um, she's at Yale. She's a primatologist, but she's also speaking about happiness. There's a fascinatingly controversial piece by Paul Dolan, um, who's at the LSE, where he argues the case that in approaching lockdown, you can't be anti-old, but you have to be a little bit pro-young, <laughs> uh, which is um, uh, a really interesting uh, argument to advance. And, you know, patently controversial, but at the same time, kind of inarguable. Um, we've got um, uh, uh, BJ Fogg who, and Dan Ariely, both of whom we've been meaning to host for years. So that's absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I, I mean, I could list more, but I, I'll, yeah. I'll leave you to go and discover the full list on surprise. But it will be really fantastic. Yeah, so it's nudgestock.co.uk is where you mm -hmm. go to register. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm 
so impressed with how many people are going and I mean it's I'm lucky enough to have gone a few times and and uh, it's every year it just gets better and better so um, well done and uh, good luck um yeah I mean I, I mean on I guess going on to something sort of semi-related um yeah behavioral science isn't something that, that's kind of really taken off over the last kind of five to ten years it, again I believe it was sort of under the, the guise of psychology way back in the day in advertising. I think they used to have psychologists in ad agencies and then they kind of went out of favor and they seem to be sort of slightly back in favor again. But, you know, it's one of a number of skills that I think people should be learning nowadays. What are some of the other skills that you think people should be developing in, in sort of, you know, to, for today's world, you know, maybe not necessarily Corona related, but. Oh, well, that's very easy. We, we call Nunstock a festival of behavioral science and creativity. And maybe in a couple of years' time, we need to revisit it as a festival of creativity and behavioral science. <laughs> and let me explain that in a very, very simple way. Yes, behavioral science is a science, and it looks for uh, evidence, and it seeks to have replicatable findings. However, I'd also argue that behavioral science has a value even when it isn't a very good science. Now, this is a very strange justification, so bear with me. Um, science generally works well in those areas of human life where you have all the data you require um, in order to uh, arrive at a conclusion with some degree of certainty, and where, therefore, there's a single right answer. I would argue in psychology, and I say this in my book, uh, there's more than one right answer. That's why business exists. I think business exists primarily as a very, very good methodology for solving problems where there is more than one right answer. You know, there isn't a single optimal car. It depends, okay? You know, what car you want depends on about 27 contextual factors. Um, and uh, the second thing is there isn't an optimal answer. Uh, there are, you know, there are simply different trade-offs to be made. And in many cases, the opposite of a good idea can be another good idea. Now, in a, in a field like this, this is why creativity is important, because the value of behavioral science isn't necessarily that it has fantastic predictive power, but the huge value of behavioral science is when you readmit psychology to the consideration of business, commercial, and policy problems, you massively expand the solution set. Because once you move out of the realm of we, we're treating this as an optimization problem with a single right answer, which is not only right, but right for everybody, solving for the average. Once you move out of that space and go, actually, what you've said makes perfect sense in logic, but in psychologic, you may be wrong. Mm. Okay. <coughs> Logically, you may want something to be fast psychologically you may want the same thing to be slow right and you know and so uh, in that case just a very simple example if you're doing a price comparison site it's probably better to build a bit of visual drama into the search so that the search takes six seconds rather than 0.3 and um uh, it flashes up exciting things going searching this website searching that website to dramatize the amount of work that's being put in. Whereas a logical person would say, make it as quick as you can. Yeah. So once you uh, admit perceptual, epistemological, psychological explanations and solutions into the possible solution set, your solution set becomes much, much wider 
with the result that quite often it becomes much cheaper as well. So you're so basically sort of so the creative skill, the creative skill of going, we're all assuming this, mm. but what if it's that? Okay, the ability to do that um, in a in a world where you can, after all, test. Okay, yeah. in a world where you know where we have a large, uh, I would argue actually that the extent to which great successful innovations or great successful businesses are the product of intentional planning is grotesquely exaggerated by narrative bias. I would argue that 50% of billion dollar business ideas result from a bullshitter who happened to get lucky. Now, when I say this to scientists, they get very upset. But in a sense, you often end up with someone who, by all sensible me measures, is being borderline insane or delusional. And yet, because of a quirk of human perception or psychology, they end up being proven right. Yeah. I'll, give you a I'll give you a lovely story about this, which I've, I've quoted a lot, and I might quote on the day, so apologies for that. <laughs> we automatically look for explanations in the kind of reductionist material economic sphere, not in the sphere of perception and, and psychology and behavior. And so I'll ask the interesting question, which is why are there more fish restaurants by the sea? And the standard Harvard Business Review or economist reader answer would be blah, 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 low distribution costs, access to fresh fish at low prices, blah, blah, blah. And my contention is that may be part of it. I don't think it's even the main thing. Okay, I think the main thing is that, um, to be honest, if that were true, you'd find lots of fish restaurants eight miles inland, but you don't really. You know, you get loads of fish restaurants in Madrid, which is bloody miles from the sea, okay? Um, I think the real reason is that fish taste better by the sea. Yeah. yeah. And that when you're by the sea, somehow the idea of eating fish or sitting on the beach and eating fish and chips is just nicer than sitting in a park and eating fish and chips. And there may be all kinds of evolutionary reasons for that. We know that rosé wine tastes better by the sea, so I'm not being wholly fanciful here. Mm. And um, so my point I'm making there is that we always have this tendency to leap to the material when looking for explanations. And if we can actually overcome that bias, uh, then, um, which partly requires just being a bit silly. Yeah. And in the same way, you know, no sane person would have launched the Dyson vacuum cleaner. If you come to me and say, there's a market for the 700 pound vacuum cleaner, <laughs> I would have said, James, mate, you're a lovely guy, but you know, you, you, you've really gone potty here. A lot of because people... everybody who could afford that, <laughs> You'd apply a clean anyway if you'd 700 quid. You know, so there are all sorts of rational reasons why you could reject that. And yet, here am I, not worth a billion pounds, as James Dyson, yeah. with a billion pound company based on what was, at some point, a totally insane premise. Yeah, they, I remember um, reading that they, I think it was John Lewis and in the US it was maybe Macy's or something, they refused to stock it unless he supported it with TV advertising because they weren't sure that it was going to sell so it was so much more expensive but actually it became their quickest selling product possibly i'm sure a large part was because it was just merely it was more expensive um so i've read that yes yes i yeah. I, I think it's possible it's perfectly possible two things one if he'd made it opaque and beige i don't think it would have sold at any price yeah, yeah. and i think if he'd made it the same price as other vacuum cleaners uh, i strongly suspect it would have sold in smaller quantities 
Agree, agree. Um, now, when you tell that to an economist, they go practically bonkers <laughs> because their entire their entire worldview is based on an assumption of human perception and behaviour, uh, which simply isn't borne out in reality. And uh, I, I mean, you're you're absolutely right as well. And I think it's, it's obviously not just you who thinks that, that that creativity is is a super skill needed for today's world. In the last two years, it's been ranked as the most asked for skill in LinkedIn. Um, so sort of the thing that people most want to learn about and it makes sense also if you look at the research I think they show that um, adults uh, and I don't know how they measured this but there was a, a research study re that, I think it was a year ago actually it said that uh, only two percent of adults show a higher form of creativity it's kind of beaten out of you at school so Ken Robinson talks a lot about it in his talks but talking about education yeah, it's a very interesting time for it right now, obviously. And we're in education. I also, Where do you see the future of education going? I, I'm also coming to the conclusion, um, having thought that it was kind of innate, and to some extent it probably is innate, uh, in the sense that, you know, in the same way that a sense of humour seems to be partly innate. Mm. Um, on the other hand... Um, I think you can teach it. Or to be honest with creativity, my point of view would be you don't have to teach it, you have to teach acceptance of it. Right. So in other words, you have to go to people and say, look, um, you know, there are far more people who can laugh at jokes than there are who can tell them, okay? And you know, at the top end of anything, you know, the, that rule's always going to apply. And I, by the way, one of the speakers is the head of the humor lab at the University of Colorado, which yeah. is the world's only humor laboratory. And that's a guy called McGraw, who's absolutely fantastic. So he's just written a book called Shtick to Business, which is the value of humor in business. So he's another person who's been a longtime fantasy attendee at uh, Nudgestock. Nice. Yeah. And um, sorry. Yeah. So going back, I mean, where, where do you think the future of education is going? I know we, we actually were talking about this before the call started. Uh, so, okay, I mean, the interesting thing with education is that, and I only, there's a book written about this, which I can't remember the title of, um, but if you like, towards the end of this talk, I'll try and Amazon, I bought it on Kindle, so I'll go and find out what the hell it is. Uh, but it's about the unbundling of education. Now, a lot of innovation takes place, not because you necessarily do anything better, but you allow people to separate the component parts of something. Now, some innovation happens, like the smartphone, which is you bundle lots of things together, which weren't previously together. Other forms of innovation happen um, because you separate things. Right. And, you know, there's the, high, the, the premium hi-fi market tends to be separates still. You know, you know and so you, you, you put together a hi-fi, and if you're really obsessive, you know, you pay, you know, 40 pounds a foot for speaker cables that have been hand woven by elves, <laughs> you know, that kind of weird shit that people go in for at the very high end of, of hi-fi. And the way to disrupt universities, which are incredibly powerful brands, is like the way of disrupting holidays. You enable people to do the three things separately. Okay. Now the three or probably four things okay that ha happen in a university are peer group which is probably the most important product mm. okay so it's spending time with 
to be honest, we say a large number of very interesting people. In reality, looking at my university experience, most people boil down into groups of, you know, there's a kind of Dunbar number thing of about 150 people who you know reasonably. And then you have a group of close friends which might be in the kind of, you know, 20 somethings, you know, 30 somethings. Yeah. Um, now, so there's that. Okay. Then there's information provision, which is what you might say the lecture borderline the sense uh, the, the the thing then there's a third business so that's genuine human capital creation and teaching you how to think so then there's a third component which is face-to-face -face teaching which has its role okay we, we can talk about that separately and then there's a fourth component uh, which is probably closer to the luxury goods industry which is the very scarcity and difficulty of getting in uh, is a signal to employer to an employer of mm. your general you know high level of capability at something you know, how well that something translates to the real world of work is a much wider debate but it at least proves you're you know you're pretty damn good at something and it not only proves possibly intelligence of, of a particular and very narrow kind it does prove a certain degree of, of um uh um of, of ability of self-discipline okay um and it also possibly um uh, there's a there's a there's a final component which is the commitment device which is it's cost you so much to get your education that to some extent by the time you're that much in debt you're a prisoner of deutsche bank or goldman sachs so you're not going to spend you know hours and hours of your life and indeed a six-figure sum in dollars to get a harvard degree turn up on day two in um goldman sachs and go around nicking all the staplers are you that, that'd be a really dumb thing to do right or you know photocopying your ass okay and so if you separate out all those different components the opportunity exists to sell them um se as separates not as a not as a hi-fi not as a music center yeah makes sense and if you think about the university business, it's a massive hospitality and real estate business with a small teaching business attached. Yeah. And what we've seen during Zoom lockdown is that to an extraordinary extent, and Laurie Santos actually says this, I think, will say this in her talk, which is that it isn't a bad approximation. I watched a Seven Oaks council meeting on Zoom and two things occurred to me. One, it wasn't much worse than attending a council meeting. Two, the likelihood that I ever would have attended a Seven Oaks council meeting in the real world was practically zero. <laughs> Whereas I was prepared to watch it on my TV for an hour. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So patently the opportunity to use technology not only to disrupt education but to unbundle it now that doesn't mean you don't have the peer group bit mm -hmm. you know the peer group bit is patently pretty important for business schools as yeah. well yeah okay um a large part of universities has become a kind of business school actually because the principal motivation is getting a job now this sounds weird but i went to cambridge in the late 80s and i went there um, to be honest, I did think, okay, if I've got a Cambridge degree, I'm not going to be unemployed. But I didn't think, indeed, it had never occurred to me uh, at any point in my uh, university career that I might want to go into banking because it was lucrative or anything like that. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the idea that this was a way to go into banking or management, I, I didn't even know what management consultancy was until the third year. And I didn't really, you know, if you'd suggested going into banking, I would have assumed, well, that's where all the pens are attached to, you know, with a little chain. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't, didn't yeah. really realize there was this huge investment banking world. Um, I came from the country. I don't know all this shit, you know. <laughs> um, uh, and um, so the interesting thing is that um, uh, you could separate those things out. So you could say, okay, we'll do a large amount of Zoom teaching. Now, what you'll notice is that business schools have already done this. Okay, yeah. so they do have a three-year residential flagship course but it's taken by very few people. <laughs> what I would do is I'd probably have one year of residential shit and then fairly regular catch-ups, yeah. okay? You know, which are lo locationally based. But you could do that in the Four Seasons Hotel Bora Bora and it'd still be cheaper than living in Oxford for three years, right? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, amazing. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, there's this huge real estate business, which is needs to be, you know, it also drives me nuts because whenever my college writes to me, it's always, we want you to make a donation because we're trying to buy this building. Okay. And I go, look, if there's one thing you don't fucking need is the University of bloody Cambridge, it's more property. Okay. <laughs> if you wrote to me and said, can you give me, you know, can you give me 20 quid a month because the professor of archaeology wants to buy a Ford Mustang? <laughs> okay and in return you can watch all his lectures on youtube yeah, i might yeah. go yeah okay you know okay that's a trade right okay it's, it's going to be fascinating how how they do this um i mean i know we're running out of time so i'll probably have to draw draw that there but um i know um your course by the way but, is but, still... but, but the, the the ultimate solution is to is to separate. Now, you know, EasyJet has holidays, so you can actually sell multiple things. But what you look at if you look at the MBA is the three-year MBA is continued by most. The reason it's continued is a bit like why a lot of pu public schools did boarding, which was because Eton and Harrow do boarding. Therefore, you're not a serious you know university if you don't do the same thing. <laughs> and um, uh, in the same way. Um, that now, of course, the boarding has made them over-dependent on foreign students because they're the only people who really pay boarding fees. And the um, uh, the interesting thing is, if you can separate out the you know the hospitality and accommodation and real estate business, then you've got a knowledge transfer business. Then you've got a kind of face-to-face -face coaching and mentoring business. Mm. Uh, you've got a luxury goods business. Uh, you've got a, um, a um, which is the signalling part of it really okay um and you've got a commitment device business so it needs to be reasonably difficult now you could separate out all those components and produce something different yeah as i was going to say um i know we're running out of time but the um your your course uh, good news is still our most popular by far um and uh, oh brilliant most, i'm so pleased most requested thing we've had is a is a part two so Dan and I have been uh, working a little bit in the background uh, to try and see whether that, that's... Uh, I'd be very happy to do a part two. Uh, really we'll, happy. We'll make a plan. But thank you so, so much for, uh, for taking the time to, uh, to chat. Hello again. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with Rory. 
If you're listening to this uh, before Friday the 12th of June in 2020, then good news. Uh, just go to nudstock.co.uk, sign up, and uh, on Friday you'll be able to listen to some incredible behavioural scientists um, share some some fascinating stories, um, including you know people like Cass Sunstein and Dan Ariely and BJ Fogg and Rory Sutherland himself. Uh, also, as an added bonus, um, and you're hearing it here first, uh, if you use the code NUDGESTOCK2020 on our website, you may find a pleasant surprise when you hit your checkout button for any of our courses or subscriptions. But anyway, we hope you enjoyed listening with us and we look forward to chatting again soon. Um, and have a lovely week. Enjoy the learning. Thanks. Bye.